0: The podcast. podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Through the Eyes of Jesus podcast. My name is Isaiah Leininger. I'll get serious now after the introduction's out of the way. We're so glad to have you back here on the show. Uh, we're so glad to have you guys here to to listen and, and have your support. It means the world to us, and we're so thankful for for all of you. Joining me today, as always, is our good friend Walker Howell.
1: How's it going, Walker? Going good, going good. Yeah, we're recording this in the middle Perfect. of summertime, so summer's flying by. But Yep, yep.
0: Just a few weeks uh, from this recording session, we'll all be back on school, and, uh, and we're, we're looking forward to that, and we're thankful for the summers that we've had. Uh, joining us today is Professor Matthew Sokolowski. Go ahead and introduce yourself, please, sir. Hey,
2: everybody. What a great intro, by the way. Yeah, I'm uh, Matthew Sokolowski. <laughs> Uh, Probably most commonly known by Soko. It's a little easier in Sokolowski, And uh, I'm glad to be here with y'all. Do I need to say anything about myself, or is that, that good? Yeah, if you want uh, to If you something... would, go ahead and... Go ahead, um, Okay.
1: Now's your time to market your So,
2: book. okay. <laughs> market my book. <laughs> Shameless plug for my book. Right. Uh, no, I'm going to reference a little bit tonight. Uh, no, so I am a professor here at Friedhardman, and I... Uh, As of this recording, just finished my second year. Uh, I was down at Faulkner for seven years, Um, and I'm happy to be here. My background is in um, Bible and philosophy, so I'm happy to be on here and talk with you all about some philosophical things.
0: And that's exactly why we brought you on, and again, we're so thankful to have you and to have your your wisdom uh, here on the show with us. Uh, If you notice the episode title, the episode title is... Why bad things happen to good people? And that's a common question that a lot of people have. A lot of people raise that as a concern when they're trying to understand who God is. They try to understand why we say that God is all-loving and all-powerful, and yet people still suffer. And so, again, that's why we brought uh, Soko on the show. That combination of Bible and philosophy we thought would be an excellent help to help us and help you guys understand the answer to that question uh walker do you want to go ahead and define what we mean when we say bad things or when we say suffering
1: yeah so suffering as we'll do as we've done every episode we define our terms with the dictionary um is essentially the state of undergoing pain distress or hardship and so this definition isn't limited to just physical suffering is it's including all types of suffering so um so suffering is just the uh, undergoing of pain and hardships, and we all experience those in different ways, forms, or fashions, whether it's physical or uh, emotional or what, whatever it may be. But this is where we get to bring in Dr. Sokoloski, where he gets to uh, release his expertise on this topic and uh, answer the first question of, how do we reconcile the existence of evil and suffering with an omnipotent, um, omnibenevolent, and omniscient God?
2: All right, I love that. Release the expertise. Like, <laughs> release the Kraken. Well, I hate to disappoint you, but I'm not going to solve the problem for you. Um, but I want to talk about it with you. Uh, but, you know, really kind of what you've hit on, I actually like the way that you've kind of set the terms and thinking in terms of suffering. Really, when we talk about this problem in philosophy, it's often referred to as the problem of evil. Um, I like to, I mean, I, I use that a lot because that's what most people use, but I prefer the problem of suffering. Um, because, well, as, as we're going to see, we're, we're going to say there's, there's the possibility of, uh, of evil. So that's not so much a, a, well, it's not a problem we enjoy, but again, it's going back to why do, why do bad things happen to good people or why do, um, good people suffer? Um, and so just before, before I kind of like launch into it a little bit and feel free to interrupt anywhere along the way. Uh, before I get going too long on a spiel, but I do think it's worth giving kind of a disclaimer that, you know, as we're about to talk about it, and I know we'll kind of mix in, especially towards then probably, but really right now in this moment, thinking about it from a philosophical perspective, and so not so much a pastoral perspective, because, you know, it's one thing to to think philosophically about it and be like, oh, well, free will uh, is why we have uh, suffering. Uh, When you're encountering suffering, that's a whole nother issue. And a lot of those philosophical things go out the window. And it's more like how long or why me or crying out to God in that way. So just kind of disclaimer on that, that as I as we kind of talk about this in the next few minutes, you know, it's not that we're being cold and calculated, but we're kind of kind of thinking about it from that um, perspective. So um, Walker, we've got it right. You said, basically, how do you reconcile the existence of evil and suffering with an uh, omnipotent an omnibenevolent and omniscient God? Well, first off, there's a lot of big omni words. So let's, let's kind of simple, simplify that down. Uh, and, and, what you asked the question, well, is it's basically saying, okay, how could an all loving, we could say omnibenevolent, um, all knowing, omniscient, um, all powerful, omnipotent, Right. How could good good God that's all loving, all good, all knowing, um, all powerful, how could he allow suffering? And so the problem really kind of arises from what seems to be an apparent an apparent incompatibility. Right. So there seems to be some sort of uh, incompatibility here. But I'm just going to say it looks that way on the surface that we have. God is all powerful. God is all knowing and God is perfectly good. And then evil exists. And so kind of going back to, it's been said this way in different centuries along the time, but essentially like, okay, well, if God, um, the, the problem is it seems that you have to give up one of those because, all right, if God is all loving, he wouldn't want evil and suffering to occur. If he's all knowing, he would know how to solve the problem. And if he's all powerful, he would be able to do it. Um, and yet we see evil exists. So maybe he's not all loving. Maybe he's not all knowing. Maybe he's not all powerful. Well, those are core features of kind of what we sometimes refer to as classical theism, right? The God of Judeo-Christian, Judeo-Christian God has these things. And so, as a Christian, we don't want to give up um, any of those things. So this is kind of that that classical um, dilemma. So does that kind of make sense a little bit of where the problem? coming from any should i keep rocking and rolling here and going on <laughs> okay all right so um as we think about this there's it's important i like how you start out talking about defining terms because a lot of times we need to make sure we're on the same page of you know understanding what we're talking about otherwise we could be using the same word but be like talking right past each other even when we talk about god like I'm i'm clarifying what we mean here uh, by the existence of God, as we're having this classical theism or Judeo-Christian concept of God, um, not just some like impersonal cosmic force, right? That's important. Um, and so, when we think about um, evil, we need to see well. Well, what do we what do we mean by that? Now, it's really common, uh, like when you first get into looking like, at this problem to make some distinctions, okay? And one of the distinctions that's often made is the distinction between natural evil and moral evil, okay? And so, what is meant by that? What is meant by natural evil is this would be like pain and suffering that results from something in nature. So, earthquakes, fires, floods, you know, tsunamis, whatever the case may be, right? Tornadoes. Um, And then, moral evil is the pain and suffering that's the result of actions of people. Right, so if if I were to get drunk and get behind the wheel and cause the death of somebody, that's moral evil. That is evil that I, through my choices, have introduced uh, into this, and somebody else has suffered, innocent, innocently so from my um, uh, sinful choices. So a lot of times that there's that natural and moral evil distinction, but also another thing that's helpful is thinking about like instrumentally evil, and what I what I mean by that is like um like really like a tornado is not inherently evil okay it's not like it's like grr i'm coming for you right but it can inflict pain and suffering right it could be and if i allow that the the suffering from that get in the way of my faith to god right then i'm like i said that's like instrumental a kind of evil that that is getting in the way of that and so i think it's also important that you know, this is a theological point but i think it's important is that really sin is the only thing that's intrinsically evil, right? Because that's the the only thing that can remove us fa- from relationship with uh, with God, um, and so I think that's helpful distinction. Um, oh, see, I still haven't answered your question. <laughs> of course, like I said, this is like gone on for centuries. So I told you I wasn't going to answer it, but I do think that as we start to, um, as we start to like think about the problem, there's. That's kind of some important uh, terms in that way. Um, okay, so hopefully I'm not going too fast here because I'm a fast talker, but um, let me give you another distinction. So you got all this lay of the land distinction. So another thing is think about like a distinction of, uh, of the logical problem of evil and the evidential problem of evil. Um, so um, probably, you know, a dominant one kind of really... Well, I say early on, within like in the last century, like, um, you know, probably back in the, uh, I don't, I don't want to give dates because I might, I need to be fact checked on it. But anyways, within the last fifty years, right? There's probably like, again, going like somebody saying it is logically impossible for those four statements to exist together. Remember, we talked about God is all loving, God is all powerful, God is all um, knowing, and evil exists. And so, what you want to do is as a a Christian or somebody want to respond to that, you have to show that it's at least, uh, there's at least a logical possibility, right? And so we make a defense. That's what's usually referred to. Not that God needs us to defend him, but nevertheless, we're giving a defense to give a logical possibility. Now, another term that a lot of times are, defense and theodicy are used interchangeably a lot, um, but Really, a defense is just showing something at least at minimum a logical possibility, and a theodicy is trying to say, this isn't just a logical possibility, but this is a likely possibility, right? And so we develop defenses and theodicies. So um, let, me, let me stop my, my trail of thought here and either say, like, is there anything that you want to ask this moment, or have you thought of any defenses or theodicies before that you've been exposed to? Okay. Well I'll keep I'll keep rocking and rolling then. Okay. All right. So um so a lot of times, right, if somebody you know, the the first kind of pass out, somebody's like, But well, free will, right? And it's like, Yes, free will, that's the reason why God creates free will, so there's the real possibility for um you know, for us to make a wrong choice and so therefore that's how evil that uh, comes into existence, if you will, or, or an introduction of evil in that way. Um, and so really, the thing is that a free will defense is really common, and it really has kind of, I don't know if this is too strong a word, but I mean, really kind of overcome the logical problem of evil, because there have been some good Christian philosophers uh, that have come along in the last, um, you know, 40, 50 years, um, doing some good philosophy from a from a you know believer's perspective, um, and so really, what has happened is the shift has gone more to the evidential problem. Okay, so let me explain what the pre- evidential problem is. All right, so again, the logical problem is just saying this is a logical impossibility, and free will is used to say, hey, whether it's likely or not, this shows that it's at least a logical possibility. So what what the atheist has done is moved to, uh, is more often than not, moved to an evidential problem of evil, which is like, okay, okay, you use your free will card and that's a logical possibility. But let me gather all this evidence of all the pain and suffering in the world. Right. Let me just like, I mean, in a sense, like you're piling up the weight of that. Right. And you can look, I mean, you could, I mean, you could go dark pretty quick and you could talk about some pretty, pretty terrible, you know, from, from large scale things and war and famine to, the hideous things at at an individual level that, you know, people may have done horrific things, right? And so you pile all that on and you're saying, okay, so, all right, Christian, it might be a logical possibility, but given all the pain and suffering in the world, the amount of pain and suffering in the world, it's not likely that God exists, right? And so in a way, the logical problem is a stronger argument and that's setting a, a high bar, but... Even though the evidential argument is making a weaker claim, it's really kind of become the stronger argument because it's saying, right, like, all right, well, you know, um, you're going to tell me that God exists, and here's all this evidence for pain and suffering. And so then, what what the what the the Christian or the believer is trying to do is try to reduce that evidential weight, right? And that's where you get different um, defenses um, and theodicies. Um, so for example, like, so free will, so free will, theodic, free will defense or theodicy. Let me go back to that. Cause I didn't really explain how that works. Right. And so some listeners might be saying, well, wait, wait a second. how's that playing?" Okay. So in God creating us with free will, right? If we truly have free will, then God cannot guarantee that we will never choose evil or the wrong thing. Does that make sense? Right. So, um, so, uh, and somebody could say, well, you know, well, God could create uh, humans and, and rig the system, right. So that we would, we would never choose the wrong thing, maybe incentivize it or something like that. Um, And so what the, what the believer or Christian is saying is like, no, if we have free will, then God cannot guarantee that that never happens. Right. And so that what you're saying, even though we, even though we can make sense of those words, it's kind of like a logical contradiction uh, is essentially the, the claim there. Just like if somebody said, like, I mean, you remember, like, being in middle school and, like, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it, right? And you're like, oh, man, I'm stumped because either way, right, doomed if you do, doomed if you don't. Like, okay, yes, he can. Wait, then he can't lift it. And then, well, he could lift whatever, but then he can't make it, Right. So even though like we understand the words, really what it is is it's like a log- it's a logical contradiction. It's like, can God make a round square? Well, no, by our terms it can't, but that's not a limit on God's omnipotence, right? And so you know, thinking about what does it mean that God is all powerful, we kind of need to spend a little time, you know, hashing that out a little bit. Uh, you know, we we know for example, God cannot lie, right? God cannot go against his character. Does that mean because God cannot lie, he's not all powerful? Well, what does all powerful mean? Like he can do anything that's capable of being done. Um, so th- that's kind of the, the free will is to say that that introduces the possibility of of moral evil. Um, and then living in a world that has stable laws of you know, nature and weather systems, like sometimes those weather systems are going to clash and there's going to be tornadoes or hurricanes or, you know, but um, but to be able to have an environment in which we can express our free will that's predictable um, is important too. So uh, I hope I haven't rambled too much there, but like, as we think about different, um, different theodicies, like there's all, all sorts of, of different kinds. It can be like a greater good theodicy, right? That, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to suffer something was for greater good. So for example, you know, when I, I give, you know, I have to, my daughters have to get shots, which they hate, right? I'm inflicting suffering on them, but it's for a greater good, right? Um, and then and I'm there being like, it's okay, it's okay, it's going to be okay. It's almost over, right? Now, some people will say, well, what about, you know, if I'm, well, going some pain, I'm like crying out to God, and feel like God isn't answering, right? Um that's kind of another response to that, but anyways, all that to say, I, I should I should wrap up this this answer. Uh, but I mean, really, this is the heart. This is the heart of it. So we're not solving it, but I would just say that as we think about reconciling the existence of evil and suffering with God, we need to clarify terms, do what we're talking like figure out what we're talking about, and and then there are different things like defenses and theodicies, and there's 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 probably like a handful of like while well, there might be lots of different ones that are offered we could probably categorize them into some like buckets if you will and like for another famous one is like soul making theodicy that god is doing something with us in this time to craft us into the people that we need to be to spend eternity with him or something like that so you've got you know free will greater good soul making theodicies uh, different things like that so maybe i should stop there and let you all Point me we, we, we appreciate me all of that. <laughs>
0: Walker and I were, were messaging each other actually. And we were like, wow, this this is exactly why we brought you on. Very, very good explanation. I did want to add on uh, the, something that I was uh, learning recently. A couple weeks ago, I went to a church camp. I was on staff at a church camp. And one of the lessons that was presented there was by a young man by the name of Jake Bradford, uh, one of my friends from, from the church camp. And he's, his lesson was, was on the subject as well. It was, was on pain and, and why people suffer. And he pointed out in his lesson that pain is actually a gift from God. And we're going to get into uh, this later in the in the episode, talking about how pain can be beneficial later on in the episode. But I want to mm-hmm. uh, point out an example that, that he pointed out in his lesson on why pain is a gift from God. Uh, my friend Jake said that, you know, So uh, when you experience pain, it's it's you're being told that something is wrong, right? Like if you have a pain in your leg, that's something telling you that something's not right with your leg. Uh, And the example that Jake used was, you know, if you touch a hot stove, what you're going to do? Well, you're going to pull your hand back because you just burned yourself. It hurts. But the pain is there to tell you that, hey, something's going on with your hand. You got to get it out of there, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's some people who have nerve damage and they, they cannot feel pain, whether it be in a specific area on their body or at all. And, you know, people are always like, well, I wish I couldn't feel pain. We say that, but we, we actually don't want that because in the, in the hot stove analogy, if someone can't feel pain in their hand, if they put it on a hot stove, they're just going to let it stay there. And when they let it stay there, the damage is going to be worse on their hand. Because they're still getting burnt. They just don't feel it. And so the damage is going to be a lot worse on their hand than it would be if they felt that pain and then jerked their hand back. And so, really, pain is a gift from God. It's God's way of telling us that something is not right. And again, that can be physical, like with the hand on the stove. That can be emotional. You know, if you're in a relationship where... You're being physically or emotionally abused, and you're suffering. You're in pain because of what your significant other is doing. That's God's way of telling you that you need to leave. That's God's way of telling you that something is not what it should be. That your relationship, or or whatever the situation is, is not what it needs to be. And so, really, pain is a gift from God. And we don't like hearing that. We don't like thinking about that. Because in our mind, it, it goes against... The all loving nature that we uh believe God has you know we, we we can't we can't associate pain with love, but like the the shot analogy that you mentioned dr soko uh it's it's the exact same thing right you're you're making your children get those shots, and they hate getting those shots that it's it's a painful process. I can tell a funny story later about when I was younger and, and was forced <laughs> to get shots um involving a giant stuffed elmo, but anyway uh uh you know like you said it's it's beneficial for them to get their shots it helps them to prevent from getting sick later and so while we don't really understand it we we don't really like it pain is still a gift from god uh you know but that that doesn't really answer the the question of you know because some people will ask the question why do innocent people get sick or why do innocent mm-hmm. people have disabilities you know we 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 say that babies are the most innocent and the most pure humans there are, and yet there are so many babies being born with disabilities, and, and there's so many innocent people getting sick. Uh, and, and so we turn back to you, Doctor Sokolowski, to to answer the question, or at least attempt to answer the question: Why do innocent people <laughs> get
2: sick, or why do they have yeah, so, disabilities? Right. No. So that's a good question because as I was thinking, you know, I always tend to think of like, okay, well, what would somebody that disagrees with me, like how would they respond? And so since like you're talking about, like I gave the simple example of a shot and you gave an example of, uh, that our pain sensors can be helpful in that way to present, prevent further harm. But yeah, in that way, like, see, we're trying to reduce that evidential force of pain and suffering, but there's still another form of pain and suffering that maybe is not captured by that, right? And so somebody says, well, again, what about, you know, a baby that has cancer? They like, why why is that, um, you know, the case? And why couldn't God intervene in that instance? And um, and, and so again, uh, you know, another disclaimer that we're just kind of, I mean, with, with this really, we're just kind of scratching the surface because I feel a little bit like I'm doing a disservice in the sense that like each of the, these things we could drill down further on. But I think, again, the goal here is kind of give a little bit of an overview kind of introduction if, if nobody's really wrestled with it. And at some point, we all will wrestle with it. Like if somebody hasn't wrestled with it yet, it's coming, right? Um, and so it's good to kind of think about this in a time, you know, when things are good too. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think part of that is really just the reality of, of living in a fallen world, right? Like that God did create us in his image and he created us with free will. Uh, and with that came the possibility right, uh, of choosing the wrong thing, and also knowing that God had a plan in place already to uh, to resolve that. I mean, we'll get to that, I'm sure, in a little bit, like talking about, you know, I mean, ultimately there is a solution through uh, through Jesus um, to the, the, you know, the, the sin problem. But, I mean, I was just thinking when we were talking, um, like with that question, I was thinking of Romans 8, um, 18. Um, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So, I mean, at some day it'll be like, it, it was worth it or it wasn't, you know what I mean? Like it, like, it just doesn't compare. But nevertheless, in the meantime, there's this groaning, a groaning you and I can have, that creation has. Notice it says, verse 19, For the creation waits for eager longing, for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with Patience. It goes on to talk about the spirit interceding and the the end part of the verse. Like what you know, what can separate us? Right. Um, for example, thirty one, thirty two. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all? How will he not also with Him graciously give us all things? And you know, nothing shall separate us more than conquerors. Right. Super encouraging passage there. Um, but again, notice like we are, we're bringing in. Theological considerations here, right? That the atheist may not be open to. But one of the things that we see here is that it's not always. Um, well, uh, we'll probably come back to it later, I'm sure. But like, we won't always get an answer to the question of why. But what? What can I learn? Or how can I? Re- can I trust God still? Right. Ultimately, it comes down to it. Can I trust God still? If I get cancer, can I trust God still? if my child dies, can I trust God still? Right. And that's like the faith and that trust. Those are very hard things that we don't know the depths of what those feelings are until we confront them ourselves. But I think as we talk about, um, just, you know, this is not heaven. (laughs) Um, and so we, we deal with, um, with some of those, um, consequences going back a little bit to us talking about the evidential problem is that as we, as we talk about this, like, a key issue is to clarify um, when and why the existence of evil or suffering counts as evidence against the existence of God. Because what the atheist is going to try to show is that there's lots of pointless suffering. Um, There's a a famous example called Rose Fawn. You can look it up. But basically like this little baby fawn dies this horrible, terrible death in the woods all by itself. Like why couldn't God have prevented that and it wouldn't have gotten any in the way of anybody's free will. Um, So all these instances of of pointless suffering and what the theist is trying to do is we'll try to show that, that suffering can have, uh, can have a purpose. And that, that's where those defenses and theodicies come from. So I think really that's where when, when bad things or suffering happen to good people, that's where you can deal with the philosophical questions but, you know, when you're the one confronting it, it's the pastoral things that come in, questions of, well, why me? Well, I've prayed about this. Why, why won't God, you know, heal me in that instance? And so this is where it goes back to, like, we don't have an answer to the problem of suffering that we can wrap up with a nice, neat bow, but we can um, try to try to understand. And I think that's worthwhile to, to try to understand, but also, um, let, you know, kind of realize our place, which... Let, let me let me make two more points. I think are helpful in this. Um, not trying to dodge your questions, shift it in a different way. But I think another thing to remember is that really the problem of suffering is a problem that w- we as Christians have to confront and deal with because we are we are saying like okay we do have this good and loving and powerful God. So why is that suffering? That that is a, I mean it is a, a challenge for us with the atheist that wants to raise it, the question is, how how are you in a position to even raise it in the first place? Because you have to acknowledge maybe some sort of, like, what's the standard, right? For example, the problem of evil, what's the standard? If there is no God, where does that standard come from? Maybe just life is nasty, brutish, and short, as Thomas Hobbes famously once said. Um, and so, so really, I think it's worthwhile to asking, well, Well, you know, how, like, how how do I know I've done really good at the game of uh, like bowling, right? And versus a game of golf, right? One is a high number, which I haven't bowled in over in probably two decades. So I don't even remember what it is. But, you know, right, there's a standard, right? If you were to get a strike every time, or in golf, you're going to get a hole in one every time, right? Then, then even though those numbers are different, like, we need a frame of reference to understand that. And the last thing, and then I'm going to be quiet and, and let y'all talk or, or ask me questions. Um, but another thing that I think in terms of defenses, thinking in the realm of defenses and theodicies, there's something that I came across when I was doing my research um, back in grad school. Um, and it's, well, it's probably 10-ish years ago, it kind of was becoming a more common term. And um, so there's more, been more literature kind of about it. Um, and this is related to, um, the problem of divine hiddenness. So the hiddenness of God. So that's where, that's what my dissertation research was on. Uh, it's kind of like a version. It's a version of the problem of evil in a sense, like, well, where, why is God hidden in some way? Like an atheist could say it's because God doesn't exist. <laughs> like, and, um, but this term is called, um, like skeptical theism and now, we might automatically think of skeptical as a bad word. So we're like, well, I would never be a skeptical theist. What it means is skeptical theism is saying we ought to be skeptical of our ability to basically hash all this out and justify God, right? That, you know, and I still think we ought to wrestle with the question. We ought to try. But I also think it's like remembering our place in the sense that, well, I'm not going to get it all figured out because we're talking about from our frame of reference as finite human beings that get a lot of things wrong. And so who am I to think I, I can be in the mind of God and and give you, you know, figure all this out. And so that's skeptical theism of being, uh, being skeptical of my ability in that way. And I think uh, another passage from Romans, Romans 11, 33, 34 comes to mind, right? Like, Oh, the depth, uh, of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. And so I think that kind of uh, goes along nicely with that. And we could probably have a nice conversation about Job here in a minute, probably you to see how some of that starts to tie in. But, um, but I think that's a, a couple of the things that I would want to add uh, to the conversation to think about.
0: Excellent thoughts, uh, and again, we we appreciate the the time that you spent to to gather those and to present them here. Uh, something that I found very interesting was that idea that you were just talking about of skeptical theism, uh, and something that you mentioned uh, you, you mentioned that you know who are we to, to say that we can see into the mind of God, and you referenced that passage from Romans eleven, and and you said earlier in that in that uh, description that. God is in control, and I think when we combine those two things, when we remember that we are not all-knowing as God is, when we remember that we can't see the future, we can't see what's going to happen like uh, God can, not only is that a, a reassurance to us, but it's a comfort for us. It, it helps us remember that God is in control. Even though it may not seem like that, even though you know, there's times of chaos and there's t- There's times of misery, and it may seem like there's no God, or it may seem like God doesn't care. But we have to remember that God is in control and that he has a plan. We can't see his plan, but we have to remember that he does have one. And that's a great source of comfort for me, and I hope it's a great source of comfort for everyone who's listening.
2: Something else that's a great source of comfort... can I add on something real quick as I started to interrupt Absolutely. You, but, but Absolutely. No, talk, talk too much already, but I do think, I mean, that's what I was kind of talking about earlier. Like, even if this happens, can I still trust in God? Right. So it becomes, you know, uh, about our faith, but, but going back to not only, I mean, not only do we have like, you know, Romans eight twenty eight that we can have knowing if we love the Lord, all things work together for good that we gives us a foundation for our trust and hope, but knowing that, ultimately God will restore and will redeem even if this life goes horribly right going back to what we talked about uh, you know earlier in, in chapter uh, chapter 8 about it'll be n- nothing what what was it Pre- the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that has been revealed to us the other thing I was going to say and again because I'm I'm always kind of thinking um, you know I want I don't want to set up like a straw man of the other side what I mean by that is like an easy target to knock down. And likewise, I don't want us, I want us to think through objections that, you know, somebody would come with. And so one thing to think about this is, and I think this is an objection we probably get, skeptical theism, like, oh, well, you claim to know what God, you you claim to know a lot about God when it's convenient for you. And when you don't know, then you claim like, well, it's just his ways are not our ways and are unsearchable, right? Uh, But again, I think it's not necessarily like, oh, well, just a convenient appealing to you, but like, okay, well, God has revealed things to us through special revelation, through his word. Right. And so there are some things that we can know that we wouldn't just know from our own reason, but there are also limits to it as well. So anyways, just when we start to appeal to like, well, his ways are above way. I don't know. Well, they might say, well, you know, you seem to have a lot to say earlier, you know, in some regard. And then when it gets tough, you do like a cop out kind of answer. But I think it's just having that, that balance of kind of kind of respect for Respecting our position and how we compare to God is helpful.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so like, like, uh, like I was saying uh, before Dr. Soko had that excellent interruption. <laughs> <laughs> that interruption. Uh, uh, you know, like, like I said, the, we have a source of comfort because we know that God has a plan for us. Uh, but another source of comfort for us is seeing that we're not alone. Seeing that other people have gone through what we're going through. And that can be seen both with people around us, especially with people around us. As uh, you know, the, the passage in Second Corinthians, the beginning of Second Corinthians, where Paul tells us that when God comforts us in our affliction, we can comfort someone else who's going through the same thing. And that's the very beginning mm-hmm. of Second Corinthians. Uh, so we have a great source of comfort when seeing other people around us who who have gone through those things and have gotten through it, and now they can help us. And we also have examples of this in the scriptures. Uh, You mentioned Job a few seconds ago, and uh, Walker, if you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about the story of Job, remind us what happened with that, if
1: you will. Yeah, most definitely, and before I dive into the story of Job, I want to say that during uh, Soko's uh, excellent explanation of all this, um, I was thinking about a debate that I watched between Dan Barker and Kyle, but... And one of the things that Dan Barker, who is the atheist in this debate, was saying was he used the appeal or the emotional appeal um, about if you were to walk into a children's hospital and you were to see all the suffering that happens within that children's hospital. And so this actually led me into a question that I wanted to ask Soko real quick before I talk about Job. And that is, um, you may have mentioned this and I may have missed it, but uh, like where whenever people try to appeal emotionally to the argument that, god is uh that sub uh, the emotional argument of suffering what category does that fall under with the
2: things that you're talking about an emotional appeal no um i, I think it, again it's part of that like evidential mm-hmm. weight that the atheist is trying to give as as examples and now again i think i think there is something here think about like it's easy for us to sit hear mm-hmm. this, right? And, and talk about this right. over this podcast, right? And and we don't, and, and that goes back to my disclaimer. Like, it's not that we're trying to be cold and calculated, but we're trying to use um, our, our reasoning in this regard. Again, we need to address the pastoral side. We need to address the emotional side as well. Um, it makes me think of kind of side note that, uh, for example, C.S. Lewis wrote, uh, two of the books he wrote, one is uh, The Problem of Pain, and the other is a grief observed, and in the problem of pain, he gives a philosophical kind of treatment to the problem of, of pain and suffering. In a grief observed, he writes about his wife passing away from cancer. They're two, they have two totally different tones to those works, and what's interesting is that he wrote the problem of um, of uh, pain first, and the grief observed later, but you know despite all his working through the philosophical things, when he's going through it emotionally uh, and experiencing it, it's somebody who's wrestling. Now, one thing he says in that, uh, I don't have the quote on me. I just, my version of remembering a quote was essentially something like that he was never really, he never really thought that he would say that God didn't exist, but he was just afraid of the terrible things he might say about God, right? And so that like, well, God, you don't care, or you're callous, whatever the case may be. So I think as we think about these things like emotional appeals, I think we need to consider the weight of them. And, but it's, it's kind of, again, this, this kind of, this is a huge huge question that's been talked about for centuries and will continue and we're not ever going to you know solve it. But as we wrestle with it, we have to wrestle with it from these different angles.
1: All right. Awesome. Um, and thank you for that explanation because that clears it up a little bit. Um, So Mm -hmm. segueing into Job, um, you know, Job was a man who suffered a lot uh, and in a lot of different ways, Um, not only physically, but I think he also suffered emotionally as well. Um, He suffered uh, physically Mm -hmm. in the sense of I mean, he had all of his um, cattle taken away. He 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 was uh, suffering because he came to the point in his life where he reached such a great amount of depression that he began to put himself in. Uh, the, um, in a pit and he, he cut and he did all these different things to himself because he reached this state of depression in his life and the reason why he'd reached this depression was because of all the emotional hardships that he was facing such as him losing all of his cattle and livestock and his family sort of turning on him and his wife saying, you know, curse God and die and all these different things and he was a man um, who suffered a tremendous amount but nonetheless, he knew that there was a God who loved him and he, and all he did during his suffering was praise God. And that's easier said than done. And, and, and I know that I'm far, the, uh, I'm, I know that I'm not the one to be saying that, uh, that I always trust God whenever things are going wrong in my life. Cause I think we all sometimes question why is this happening to me? Or, um, why is this, why am I experiencing this? Why am I suffering in this way? But I once heard a very wise lady once say, who was a dear friend of mine, she said, instead of asking the question, why is this happening to me? Why don't we ask the question, why not me? And that really hit me and it struck me. um, And I think that's the question we all should be asking ourselves. You know, we may experience some hardships in our life, but why not me? Because there's been people who've suffered uh, way more, um, especially Jesus Christ, who was sent to the cross to where he was tortured tremendously. Um, and he was tortured not because he wanted wanted to be. He even asked the Father for an alternative way. But since there was no alternative way, and the only way for the whole world to be cleansed of all their sins was through this torturing and through this death, he was willing to suffer for you and I. And so it just goes to show that, yes, there may be suffering happening within our lives, but there's always people who've, who've suffered and didn't really question why they they just they went through it and they understood and they trusted God's plan for the future. Isaiah. Oh, first so- well, Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh,
2: yeah. So again, and, and so what I want to mm-hmm. do, Walker. Now I agree with you always. I just I, but I, again, I'm always kind of thinking of like the counter, right? And and so again, I think what I want to do is I want to want people to. Realize the messiness Mm -hmm. of this question. Right. And that, that it really is something to continue to wrestle with because, you know, like we're saying like, why not me? Like, I understand the sentiment there though, but I think about this, like, what if, what if my wife and children were, were killed Mm -hmm. by a drunk driver? Right. I'd be like, why not? Why not me? Yeah. Yeah. This, this, I'll tell you why not me because I miss my, my right. entire family, right. From, you know, that was the senseless kind of thing. And, and why mm. couldn't have got, you know, y- you would go through all that. But again, I think it goes back to though. Um, can I still, even if I don't ever get the why, can I still trust mm. in God enough? Right. Man, I sure hope I could, but I think until we're the yeah. one that's in the pit, you know, I, I, I you know, we mm. don't, we don't know. And I hope so. Um and it may it may be a time of, of way but hopefully we we come back, but I mean, even like think about job I mean he like cursed the day of his birth and like yeah, he's praising God, but he's also like crying out to God like mm-hmm. why and I've not done anything and he yeah. gets an answer now you know he doesn't sin you know in, in this but but like you know God gives him an answer like, well, where were mm-hmm. you and where were you and and job kind of right, he says like cover right. my my mouth um because he was speaking of things that that were beyond him. And, and with Job, you know, we, as the reader, we get a mm-hmm. prologue and epilogue. We know why he's going through this. We know how it ends. So that makes it mm-hmm. like endurable. Job doesn't know that he never, he he doesn't get the prologue. And I mean, he experiences the prologue and epilogue, but he doesn't get the the scene of what's happening in heaven. He doesn't, he never gets the why he never gets the mm. answer of why, but we see that he, the relationship, you know, um, Uh, remains and and, and God brings them through. But so anyways, not to, again, I just think like, uh, like it goes Mm -hmm. back to the free will thing. Like, I don't think that we say like, oh, problem of evil. Why does that happen? Oh, free will, (laughs) my job here is done. I answered it like, okay. Like, yeah, but there's a whole Mm -hmm. lot deeper kind of to drill down on. So I just think, um, yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask that. Yeah, I'm glad you did. (laughs) Yes, thank
1: you. Isaiah, you want to? Segue us into our next.
0: Sure. Uh, you know, Walker, something that you mentioned was that, you know, one of the most uh, detailed descriptions of suffering that we have in the scriptures is about the Savior, is about Jesus while he's on the cross. And not only just while he's on the cross, while he's, you know, going through the, the process of. The, the whipping and the scourging and and the beatings that he was taking going to the cross, but also just in the garden as well, uh, we see his his anguish and his deep deep uh, emotional suffering because he knew what he was about to go through. We uh, he knew all all of the the whippings and the beatings and the scourgings and and the you know the mental uh, emotional Damage that he would endure, along with what his body would have to go through, uh, and like you mentioned, Walker, he prayed that he could get out of that. He he prayed to ask God if you know if this cup can be taken from my hands, then please do it. But what Jesus did, and uh, and he did so, leaving an incredible example for us. He said, "God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to go through this. But if it's your will, if it's what." you have for me to do, then I'm going to do that. And like, like you pointed out, Dr. Sokolowski, that's a lot easier said than done. You know, uh-huh. when we're the ones who are in the pit, when we're the ones who are crying out to God, it's it's a lot easier said than done to say, oh, well, you know, your will be done, Lord. It's, it's uh-huh. a lot harder to do that when we're the ones who are suffering, when we're the ones who uh-huh. have that cup in our hand, so to speak. Uh, but we have a, another question for you, Dr. Sokolowski, and, and that is how, how did Jesus look at suffering and, and really how does that look for us today?
2: Well, there's probably a whole lot more that could be said about this um, you know, question and we could look at the Gospels. But let me, I'll kind of answer a little bit different version of that question. I think um, that I think what this shows, right, it shows that suffering is not inherently evil right? Because Jesus suffered uh, and died for us and for for us while we were yet enemies with God. And so uh, it does show the redemptive, the redemptive um, purposes of suffering. In this case, what Jesus suffered for on our behalf. Um, and so, you know, again, it goes back to where we talked about kind of moral versus natural evil and then also that instrumental versus like inherent or intrinsic evil that that suffering if somebody wants to say like you know that that's a problem for god's existence well like like no now we can still deal with the evidential weight of different kinds of suffering but i think what we can see is that we have you know a great high priest who intercedes with us like a hebrews talks about and i think that becomes a beautiful thing when whatever it is that we're going through, we have someone who intercedes that knows what it's like to be us. Um, And I think that's going to be a source of where comfort's found. Absolutely.
0: You know, the gift that, it's the gift that keeps on giving, you know, not only did Jesus come down to the earth, he he left heaven and, and came to earth and lived on this earth for several years and then went through the agony of the cross, which has been described as the most painful way of execution human man has ever come up with. Not only did he do all that and, and start the church and then ascend up into heaven after his resurrection, but he continues to work while in heaven. He continues to intercede for us while in heaven. He he's the one up there telling God, you know, it's it's not that easy. You know, it's 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 a lot harder down there then we would think it's, it's the things that they go through, the, the temptations they have to endure. That's a lot. So give them some grace. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And, and we need to make sure that we're more thankful for that, that we spend more time thinking about that. Now, uh, you mentioned in yeah. your, in your answer, Dr. Soko, that uh, you, you said that suffering doesn't have to be evil. And, I, and we agree with you. Like, like I said earlier, pain is a gift from God. It, it tells us that something is wrong. It's an indicator that something needs to change. Uh, so to conclude this episode, uh, we, Walker and I, and, and we invite you as well, Dr. Soko, to uh, we're going to look at several ways that we see that suffering can be good. And we're going to look at that from a scriptural context of course uh walker do you want to go ahead and take the first one
1: yes uh the first one is that you know suffering makes us more dependent on god um and i and i think isaiah hit this earlier about um how pain and suffering is not always a bad thing it it, it, it's it's lessons that we can um learn from god and it's and it's just learning to trust and trust on him more Um, and so most definitely, uh, suffering can make us more dependent on God.
0: Absolutely. You know, it, it, it reminds us like of what we were talking about earlier. It reminds us that we are human and God is God, right? It reminds us that we are finite beings with limits on our power, limits on our time and our energy. God is infinite, God is outside of those constraints of time and matter and space. And so, when we suffer, it makes us remember that we don't have the power. The power is not in our hands, it's in God's hands. And so, when we remember that suffering, uh, it, you know, it's a gift from God, and, and, it, and we remember that uh, suffering is supposed to make us more dependent on God, that also strengthens our prayer life. Suffering strengthens our prayer life. Because, and I I know that this is true for me as well, uh, and I'm sure it's true for for everyone who's been on the show, or who's heard the show, but when things are easy, I don't talk to God as much. I I almost treat God as if he's a genie, right? A genie in a bottle that I go to and I say, alright, I wish for this to happen. You know, I, I wish for this suffering to end, I wish for this period of pain to end. And like I said, that's not just a me problem. It's definitely a problem for me, but it's not just a me problem. You know, we look at the nation of Israel during the period of judges in the Old Testament and how, you know, they would be serving God and then they would fall away. And so God would allow them to suffer uh, by allowing a a neighboring nation to come in and conquer them. And he would allow them to suffer because they had churned away from him. And he was trying to say, hey, you know, Pain is an indicator that something isn't right. You're not doing what's right here. And so the nation of Israel would be conquered by another nation. They would suffer and then they would call out to God. And God would send a judge and the judge would uh, renew the nation of Israel and the nation of Israel would be faithful and then they stopped relying on God again and they would fall away again. So when we suffer, it strengthens our prayer life. It, It reminds us, hey, we're not the ones in power here. We should be dependent on God. And so that it, it it reminds us to turn back to God, to turn back to the one who
1: has the power.
0: Uh, Walker, do you want to go ahead and tackle number three? There yeah, for us? and before
1: I do, uh, I was I, I forgot to reference uh, the Romans 5, 3 through 4 that we had notated here. And I think um, it would be best maybe to even include the verses prior to that um, in order to just help the flow of the verse um, and beginning at verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into His grace in which now we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not... Put us to shame because of God's lo- because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I think that verse is, uh, I think that verse ties in well after we've talked about these first two points about how suffering makes us more dependent on God, suffering strengthens our prayer life, and really suffering brings out the best in us, and it helps us uh, to be more empathetic. Whenever we suffer through something, we then have the ability to maybe help someone else whenever they suffer through that through a similar situation. For example, uh, the most common thing I think of in the teenage world that we suffer with is relationships and breakups and different things like this. And so whenever someone experiences a breakup and then their friend is going through a breakup, it can be very easy for that person who just experienced the breakup to help that other friend who's now going through a breakup to give them advice, give them wisdom and help them and it brings out their best, and it helps them to be more empathetic uh, as a result. So suffering can definitely help us uh, understand what our strengths are, but it can also help us to be more empathetic towards others.
0: It it goes back to the verse that we were talking about earlier from Mm -hmm. the beginning of 2 Corinthians. When we are afflicted, God gives us comfort. And therefore, when we see someone else in affliction, we can use the comfort that God has given us, whether it be through his word or through his children, and we can use that comfort to help someone else. Um, and uh, so definitely that suffering can can help us be more empathetic. Uh, something else that we see in the scriptures is that it does go back to free will. Uh, obviously, as we've we've talked about, Free will is not, you know, a, a catch twenty one. It's not a stop all mm-hmm. conversation kind of thing, but suffering can mm-hmm. be a result of our own actions. Uh, you know, Doctor Soko brought up the example of drunk driving a couple of times. You know, if I get behind the wheel while intoxicated, if I crash my car while I'm not physically fit to drive, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to have injuries because of that, and it's no one's fault but my own. I was the one who made the choice to get drunk. I was the one who made the choice to get behind the wheel. It was my free will that put me in that perilous situation. And it's not just with that. You know, I go back to the the nation of Israel in the the Judges period. The reason that they were suffering continually is because they made the choice, uh, maybe not individually, but at least as a nation, to stop following God they they decided to to worship false gods or to worship god falsely and both of those are bad and so god allowed these neighboring nations to win in military battles over the nation of israel to remind them hey you're not the ones with the power here and also almost as a punishment right to to chastise his people and, and discipline them for not doing what they were told by the Almighty God. And that kind of brings us into our next point, is that sometimes suffering can happen because God is trying to discipline us, or he's trying to chastise, chastise us to grow closer to him. Because as Christians, we are not supposed to live lives of sin. We're not supposed to practice lawlessness. And when we do that, sometimes God, who is our Father, will chastise us, will discipline us. And I'm reminded of a passage in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, the Hebrew author in verse 5 says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives so god as christians we are children of god we are the sons of god and so like any good father when the children is doing something that they aren't supposed to the father is going to discipline them i'm sure uh, you dr sokolowski could speak to this when when your daughters <laughs> yes. are, are doing yes, something that... <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, when your daughters are, are doing something that, you know, they've been told they're not supposed to do or, you know, they've been told they're not allowed to do, if they choose to do that, you know, it goes back to free will. If, if they choose to do that, then you as the father will discipline them as you see fit to, to help them learn that what they're doing is, is not right.
2: Okay, so, so side note, and this isn't a parenting <laughs> podcast, so I won't go too far down the rabbit hole, but – but one of the things, we, we, right? We tell the girls like to do things, or we give certain mm-hmm. rules that they may not understand, and uh, they're they're young. They're about one's about to be well, one just turned seven. The, my is about to be five, and so I'll tell them, "Do you okay? Like, do you trust mommy and daddy? You know?" And they say, "Yes, we trust." I said, "Okay," and so just like you, you trust me. And there's a reason, even if you don't understand, and that's also instilling in them. We're saying we want you to learn how to listen, and obey mommy and daddy, because God has given you a mommy and daddy we want you to listen obey us because we mommy and daddy we have to listen obey somebody we have to listen obey god we want to set you up so that you'll listen obey god too so again it goes back to yeah as a parent there's been new insights of you know my relationship with god of thinking how many times i can act like a child (laughs) Uh, and realizing what if god is just like (laughs) like if he could if you if if you're speaking to me just like just chill Matt. you need to relax right like it's going to be okay it, when I'm having my my you know panic mode you know but anyways I, I don't want to derail that but I just yeah I think it's a good point
0: <laughs> we, we appreciate the uh, the insight the, the last <laughs> thing that that we had the last reason that we listed why suffering could be good uh, is that it it shuts the devil's mouth when we are afflicted when we are suffering we have the option to, as Job's wife told him to do, curse God and die. We can turn our back on God, we can reject Him, reject our belief in Him, because of what's happening to us. And we see a lot of people today are doing that. They, they go through something painful or, or traumatic, and they say, God, why weren't you there? God, why didn't you help me? And that leads them to the conclusion that God isn't real. And of course, as, as we, as believers, know God is real, uh, and, and the suffering that we go through, as we've talked about today, can be beneficial. Again, it is a gift from God. And so it's, it's hard for us to, to talk about that. But, uh, but when we go through that suffering, that period of, of anguish, when we choose not to say, curse God and die, what we're really doing is we're proclaiming our faith in him. We're proclaiming that we still trust God, we still believe in God even though we're going through this. And that gives opportunity uh, to silence the enemies of God. That gives opportunity to say, hey, look, you can afflict me all you want, you can persecute me all you want, I can go through all of these things, and it won't matter because I trust God. You know, I'm reminded of Daniel chapter 3, one of my favorite scriptures in, in, in the Old Testament. And we see in Daniel chapter 3, the Babylonian king, who has taken over Judea, he uh, sets up this golden image and commands everyone in the kingdom to worship it. And we see four men, three in particular, who refuse to do this. And they're names that we we know them as, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they they refuse. They say, we're not going to turn our back on God. And so the king brings them in, in front of him, you know, the, the most powerful man in the most powerful nation on the world at this point in time, brings these three young Jewish men in front of him. And he says, look, either you worship this golden image or I'm going to throw you in a fire. You're going to be burned alive. And what they tell him, I think is just absolutely, it's remarkable. It's, it's a great, great, uh, show of, of courage and of strength, and of, of faith. Uh, beginning in verse 16 of Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if, if you throw us in the furnace, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So we see in this passage that they are brought in before the king, they're given this challenge, you know, either serve this false god or be thrown in the furnace, and they tell him, we're not going to do it. We're not going to turn our back on God, because we believe that God will save us from you, save us from your hand save us from this suffering but even if he doesn't even if god chooses to let us die in the furnace we're going to stay safe stay faithful to him you know it goes back to that verse that you read for us earlier in romans chapter 8 which is my favorite scripture I, i've been saying that a lot recently but my favorite scripture <laughs> is romans chapter 8 and verse 18 again i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. We're going to go through things as Christians in this life that are painful, that are agonizing, that make us suffer. But if we be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if we're like Paul and all the sufferings that Paul had to go through, if we're like Job and we stay faithful to God, even if we die here on earth, we will live with him forever for eternity.
1: Amen to that. And uh that gives us something to look forward to, you know, as we're going through this life and we we may we may experience things along the way. We 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 as Christians have that hope and that uh that realization that, hey, if we're found faithful, we can spend eternity with him. What a great thought, Isaiah. And great thoughts by you and uh Doctor Sokolowski. This has been a wonderful and insightful episode for me. I've grown a lot from it and I'm sure y'all have as well, um, and so uh, also, Soko um, wrote a book over this, and so we're going to include the link to his book in the show notes. Feel free because I know you you as well probably think that he gave an excellent exp- explanation of the problem of suffering, and that's why we brought him on and yeah.
2: uh, well the book. The book, just clarify, that's just one mm-hmm. chapter. I, I was um, actually asked by the Warren Center to write a follow-up after Gilmore and Rosenberg's debate from a few years back. So it's kind of introduction apologetic to Christian evidences and then a little bit about the existence of God. But I do kind of give an overview. Now, look, I know mm-hmm. we've gone long. Can I say just a yeah. couple of yeah, quick Yeah, go things? ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, like, so so, uh, a couple of things is that what we're just kind of talking about, well, well, let me do this one first. This is quick. We haven't had time to talk about this, and we aren't, we aren't going to, but another thing, if somebody's looking into this, one thing to think about is you need to wrestle with is the challenge of uh, our free will and God's sovereignty, mm-hmm. and obviously that's a huge theological thing to think about, and that starts to bring in thing about, like, Isaiah, you mentioned God and time, and that brings in God and time, and foreknowledge and all these mm-hmm. kinds of things. And so th- that is another piece of the puzzle that plays in here. But I was going to say like what you've been talking about here at these end, these different themes in scripture, that um, I just wanted to reference a book that I have found. It's one of my favorite books, I think, that I've encountered on on just kind of that practical book on on suffering. And in fact, it's called, What Does the Bible Say About Suffering? And it's by Brian Hahn Gregg. Um, and so he, he goes through some of these things like, Like that you've been talking about, that suffering, it can be punishment from God, or suffering can be the result of sinful choices of other people, or it could be Satan trying to tempt me uh, to fall away. But what he does is he explores he just he's, he looks at different biblical passages and says what is, what does the bible say about suffering and I think that's a great place to start even before all the philosophical uh questioning but um I just want to share this analogy and and then i'll i'll be I'll be quiet um but this analogy that has stuck with me like when I read this book this is it, it you know a lot of times you read a book like something just you carry it with you and so he really uses this analogy effectively of a choir so I'm going to read this page fourteen and fifteen of his book he says Imagine that the biblical witness is a talented choir. Members of a traditional choir are assigned one of at least four parts, soprano, alto, tenor, and bass. When the choir performs, some songs are sung in unison, a powerful melody that moves and grows in momentum. The proclamation of the good news of Jesus is such a melody. When it comes to suffering, however, the scriptures approach is more like a complex harmony. The convergence of voices weaves a pattern greater than any single melody. There are even moments of dissonance adding to the complexity and mystery of the music. Certainly we have the ability to pick out a particular line in the music. We can focus in on the altos, for instance, uh, in order to appreciate their contribution. In fact, a full appreciation of the music demands that we isolate and consider the various lines. However, it would be disastrously misguided to assess the music solely on the basis of any single line. And so I think what I really like about that is, like I said earlier, we need to be real and confront the messiness of this question and not be arrogant to be like, like I said, like, oh, well, we can solve this or this is easy. But instead, like, these are kind of, there's a lot of different answers that play into this problem of suffering. And the Bible gives us some insight. It doesn't give us all the answers, you know, but it gives us insight. And I think um, it, it can encourage us to, again, even if, right, can I still trust in God. And, and even, even in the midst of terrible suffering, right? Is there, is there still beauty to be found in the ashes? And may, maybe that's not in this life, right? Maybe it's like, you're talking about Isaiah from Romans, like what is to, to come or be revealed. So anyways, I just, uh, that, if somebody wants to look at that, I, that's a book that I always, um, recommend. So I wanted to recommend it here and now I will be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh...
1: We, we love it. We love the insight. We love the recommendation and the book. And I definitely will look into that. And I'm sure Isaiah will as well. Um, it's been a great episode. I've, I've enjoyed our time together and I always enjoy um, these sort of things. I love looking at this topic and this is a topic that's always fascinated me. I've always heard Kyle Butt explain this topic, but hearing someone other than Kyle Butt explain this topic is, uh, is enlightening and is, uh, and is good. And it, uh, And some things are Soko explained a whole lot better than I've ever understood, and so I'm thankful for him and his willingness to come on and explain these things. Hey, look, you may still have a lot of questions about suffering if you're listening to this. You may still have a lot of questions about this topic, and that's okay. We didn't expect to answer all the questions that you may have, so if you have questions, send them to us. Uh, You can send them to info at tt eoj.com or you can dm us if you if you follow us on facebook or instagram or whatever you may follow us send us a message let us know what questions you have so we can get those answered for you and maybe even set up a study to study with you about these things Uh, we would be happy to do so and we would love to help you in any way shape or form that we possibly can I mentioned that we have a Facebook and Instagram, so be sure to go like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and also uh, be sure to subscribe to wherever you're listening to this on, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, uh, because you don't want to miss an episode. We have a lot of other good things coming. Uh, I know the, I know this episode is coming out um towards the end of uh well at very first week in august and then in a few weeks we'll have dr justin rogers also from freed Hardeman, talking about dealing with grief and so that'll conclude our special guest season and so we will uh be excited about talking about that as well and then we'll kick off season three in september so we have a lot of uh good things coming your way so be sure to stick around and stay tuned um isaiah any final thoughts before we close out the episode or soko any final words thoughts wisdom (laughs)
2: <laughs> thanks for having me it's good to be with y'all
1: <laughs> nothing Isaiah.
2: all right then all
1: right no, then sir. let's say a prayer together father we love you and we thank you for this time together we thank you for uh soko and his willingness to come and uh be a guest and explain the uh the problem of suffering uh to uh the best of his knowledge and uh and through his uh, in-depth study and um, dedication here, word, he was able to present to us a, uh, a more easier way to look at uh, this issue and how to approach it in the future. We're thankful for the lessons that we can learn from suffering. We're thankful that we know from suffering that we, it, it helps us in ways, even if we may not see it, it helps us to draw closer to you. It helps us to strengthen our prayer life. It helps us to, uh, bring out the best in us and be empathetic with others it helps us to understand that this world is not our home and that we're truly just a passing through and we're working towards something way better and way greater than anything that we may experience on this earthly uh, place and help us to realize the fact that you are ultimately in control father and that you have a plan for everything and although we may not see your timing now we know that hopefully through uh different things we can see why certain things happen in our life and We can understand that you you ultimately, uh, your guiding hand was in the midst of it all. Be with us, strengthen us, and guide us in our faith and our walk with you. And thank you for sending your son, Jesus, for the greatest sacrifice of all. It's in his son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.